short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. people I think is good people. They are they have not to charge with the guilty of all the lies. Back to the Cold War episode forty-six, Ray. Hello, how are you? Hello, I'm good. How are you? Oh, um, I'm fine. Full disclosure: I just I uh, was going over my notes. You know, the mandatory fifteen minutes that you make me prep. Mm. Uh, I was smoking a Victor Sinclair Bohemian. I'm high as a kite right now. Uh, I'm sure it will end by the time we finish the first show. Um, I just wanted that out there, you know, in the interest of full disclosure. I think I I just I owe it to everyone. So now that that would be a cigar. Yeah. I um am not familiar with those cigars. Uh, mm. Never heard of them before or had one. Is it uh, tasty? Yeah. It's it's nice. It's a little strong, and I've been smoking them for a while, so I thought I could handle it. But by the time I got up, I said, "Oh, it's ten minutes till. I better go get there with Cam." I had little little trouble getting out of the chair, a little more trouble walking to the door, and I just figured, well, I need to let people know because uh, I don't know what's going to happen until I am back to normal. So I just want to let you that, know. How is that possible? Isn't it like seven o'clock in the evening there, and you only get home at like half past six? Uh, I get I get home around six o'clock. Uh, ate a quick uh, meal. Uh, whipped out the notes. Uh, lit up the cigar, and that's my little my root my routine to smoke and read over the notes. And just before I knew it, I, you know, gravity was working against me, and things didn't make sense. <laughs> so sometimes that happens. I don't know why, but yeah, sometimes well, that happens. I'm looking on uh, line here at these. They says that it's very you know sort of medium to full uh, body. Right. So that right. that's gonna not that's gonna give you a punch. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Sounds, I'll have to I'll have to place a couple of those in my next order. They look good. Oh, they are. Nice, solid, nice, solid smoke. From the DR, though, I don't normally go for DR. I'm a Nicaragua guy. I'm not normally a DR guy. DR's a little bit bit harsher, I find, but uh, hey, I'll give it a go. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll bring you one. Oh, okay. Um, Now, uh, just, uh, I want to, we have have a new advertiser. Uh, I just want to read out there before we get started. This is from Blame Putin. Uh, do you need something to distract people from how ba- badly your party managed the election and for what it's unleashed on the world? Blame Putin. That's that's all I've got here. Uh, apparently, that's useful. You can tap. You can buy. You can use blame Putin as many times as you want for anything. Climate yeah. change. Blame Putin. Trump's the president and he's destroying civilization as we know it. Blame Putin. Just blame Putin for everything. Uh, apparently that's it's that's the secret. The Where, other the, the other I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go. 
the other expression floating around the United States right now is, uh, oh, crap, Pence, because everybody's thinking, uh, you know, Trump is on his way out. It's just a matter of going through the steps or whatever. And then they start to celebrate. And then they, oh, crap, Pence. He's the one who's waiting in the wings. And, you know, that's the guy who thinks you can give therapy to homosexuals to make them straight. So really not a cheering moment or a cheering phrase, but but it certainly catches you, uh, catches you up short. I saw somebody on Twitter yesterday talked about, um, you know, he said, I'm reminded that Joffrey was a spoiled brat born into a wealthy family who, uh, when he was removed, it was replaced by Little Sparrow, a religious uh, uh, fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, we know that Cersei came... Spoilers, if people haven't seen the most recent season of Game of Thrones. Have you finished the most recent season of Game of Thrones? No, good God, no. I, I'm still at the oh, baby God. dragons. Uh, that's uh, all I remember. Well, Cersei kills everyone, let me just say that. So, okay. we hope that Hillary uh, turns out to be Cersei and just blows the White House up, <laughs> if that happens. Um, then she'd be, uh, you know, she'd be recovered in my book for... Yep. Uh, fucking up the last election anywho um yep we good news people we are nearly at the end of yalta and when i say near, when i say nearly <laughs> i think it's by almost the, in sight if you get on a big tower yeah you can almost see the end with one yeah. of those telescope things you like napoleon <laughs> and wellington carried and you look at if you look there you can you can see the end of yalta I think by the end, by the end, by the end of the the three episodes we're going to record today, we will be Mm -hmm. down to the last day of Yalta. Woo! Okay, but but this is the. I mean, but we're coming up to the good stuff. This is the uh, the end result of all the shenanigans, all the fake acting, the fake news, everything that's been going on for the last couple of days. And I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, I know that this is um, this is Stalin to a certain degree taking a victory lap, and and we're going to get into all the details. Yeah, Um, we are uh, at the end of day four. Um, of Yalta at this stage. It doesn't sound like we're towards the end, but we're going to speed through the next few days. Um, But there are some funny anecdotes, some funny side notes in the history that uh, I thought we should touch upon before we get too much further. Um, There's this lovely anecdote in Molotov's memoirs that I enjoyed. don't know if you saw this, Ray. Mm, He said, um, at the Tehran conference... Roosevelt and Churchill got tired of Stalin constantly, you know, bugging them about the things that he wanted, uh, and they decided to play a trick on him. So in the morning before the regular session, uh, Churchill said, I had a dream that I became ruler of the world. And Roosevelt said, And I dreamt that I became master of the universe. And what did you dream, Master Stalin? Stalin replied, I dreamt that I didn't confirm either of you. <laughs> you, you don't get over on Uncle Joe. You just do not. He is deadpan. He is the, he's the, uh, the essence of deadpan. You do not get over on him. Now, I think this is a joke, but it was, it was in Molotov's memoirs. So I don't know. He's being funny. Mm. Yeah. Ha, yeah. ha, ha. Uh, apparently, at Yalta, there weren't enough bathrooms where the British and the Americans were staying. 
so every, I don't know why. I mean, they're staying at palaces. You'd think palaces would have shit ton of yeah. bathrooms, but um, <laughs> maybe Russian czars shit ton bathrooms. Yes, that was yeah. a, that was a deliberate joke. Uh, you maybe the czars, the royal uh, Russian royals, didn't go poo poo and wee wee. Bit like <laughs> Kim Jong Un, they didn't have a butthole because they didn't need to They're, poop. Exactly. Uh, um, whereas President Trump just talks shit constantly. So he doesn't need to well, poop because it just comes out his mouth constantly. Well, you know where he's at at 3 to 4 a.m. Besides on Twitter, he's on the toilet. And so, yeah, I know he definitely needs... Um, he definitely needs a bathroom. I meant to mention this in the very first Yalta show, but I'm trying to remember the exact number. But I'm trying to remember the number of times that they repainted FDR's bathroom. It was at least yeah. It was at least nine. I'm trying to remember, but they, as they're prepping, said, "I know it's the right mood. It, that doesn't strike the right color, whatever." It was repainted so mm. many times, and so so he gets a bathroom. Obviously, the big three get their own bathrooms, but everybody else is they're going to have to make do. And as you know, as you know, I, I can guess Americans are not used to queuing. We don't like to queue. We have an attitude, uh, so I can just imagine these big brass uh, military men and um, politicians lining up in the hall waiting for their turn to go pee pee and poo-poo well the reason they had to keep repainting roosevelt's bathroom was they were trying to hide the microphones that were in there it's like no i think you can still see it we need to go a darker shade of gray (laughs) (laughs) so it ended up just being this black bathroom like the entire thing floor wall ceilings black like a torture chamber yeah 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 so the the Brass, the politicians and the the military, British and Americans, had to line up to use the bathrooms uh, every day while they were at Yalta. And uh, apparently they were used, those lines were then used as like mini conferences. Uh, (laughs) They would go, they'd just start talking about what was happening on the agenda today, uh, what had happened yesterday, debating their points, talking about what was going on. So I just love that. I mean, you can imagine these these are like serious generals, serious politicians. These are like the, the Secretary of State, uh, senior diplomats, bureaucrats, all yeah, hanging State around. Department officials, yeah. Just the, well, you've just, just got to imagine that in, Stalin had a young lady or whoever passing out towels up and down the hall, getting <laughs> you know just vital information from these guys who were you know were Americans, as you can tell. We like to spill secrets to Russians, but uh, they're probably just relaxing. They're joking because, as we found out when we were doing our research, yes, the number one topic of Yalta was the war, but the number two topic of Yalta, no pun intended, was the bathrooms. And so these guys would relax. And they would just talk about whatever they would talk about the days, the days agendas. And you just have to imagine that a lot of, you know, little tidbits were picked up by those who were servicing these British and these Americans. I just like to think of all these guys lined up because they've been mostly guys uh, wearing their wife fronts, uh, (laughs) wife beaters, little toiletry bag with them, chomping on a cigar, half of them. Uh, just talking about what's going, what's going down. Yeah. It's just, it, I mean, that'd be a great scene in a film. If I was making a movie about the Cold War, that'd be a. Do scene. you salute? Do you <laughs> yeah. salute a superior yeah. officer and, in the hallway? I don't know. Fronts? Yeah, I think, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the other, 
issue that was a constant source of amusement and annoyance for the Americans and the British uh, at Yalta was the food. Mm. And apparently the waiters who didn't understand English. Admiral Leahy, in his memoirs, mentions that uh, uh, for breakfast on February 4th, he ordered uh, uh, an egg, toast and coffee. Which yeah. sounds like a reasonable breakfast. Uh, he's a military man. He likes to keep it yeah. simple. Um, and instead, unfortunately, the waiter brought him a tray of caviar, ham, <laughs> smoked fish, accompanied with vodka. Yeah. Now, that's the breakfast of champions, I've got to say. <laughs> if the Russians eat that, they're tough. But you can just imagine this this waiter who doesn't speak any. Okay, I want eggs. You got it? Da. I, got, I, I want coffee. You got it? Da. It brings back all this. What the fuck? You know, because he's an American. What the fuck is this? Get this guy out of my sight. <laughs> I just like the Russians. Like, yes, they probably do. I know that's what you want. But in Mother Russia, you're going to get what you're going to get. Uh, <laughs> Yes, you can order anything you want. I say yes. I still bring a caviar and vodka, but uh, you tell me you whatever order. you want. And yeah. it's a now, little bit, yeah. it's a little bit like how Stalin went into negotiations at Yola. Sure, you can say whatever you want. You can tell me what's important in democracy in Poland. It doesn't matter to me what you say. At the end of the day, I get what I want. You, you are going to eat what I put in front of you, and that's just the fucking way it is. Now, the, what the ironic thing was, and everybody, you know, mentioned this. I mean, there were plenty of eggs. There was tons of butter there. That was not the problem. It was either communication, which I don't think it was, or I think it was the Russians fucking with them. Because, you know, like Bobby Fischer playing chess, you upset the person as much as you can before the first move is made with your antics. I think the Russians were just messing with them. But either way, the Americans and the British eventually learned to calm down. They started taking it in stride by day four. They were able to eventually explain omelets to these guys. But yeah, for the first couple of days, it was rough going. Uh, what was what was it they had for breakfast the first couple of days? Caviar and mince pies. And they said, yeah, that was a nice novelty. It was something different. But eventually, my stomach's going to want to go back to normal. And for me, normal is coffee, toast, and uh, eggs. So they eventually worked it out. But after a while, they we're able to relax about it because you know you've got to have you got to have a routine to get through the day because at four o'clock when your media was stalling you need to be, you need to bring your a game. Oh man, you just in the middle of there you mentioned something about Bobby Fisher and I just realised we're going to get to do in this series yeah. the entire yeah. Fisher Spassky uh, <laughs> competition. Oh my god, I'm so excited! I'm going to do every move of every game. I'm going to <laughs> yes. analyse every move. Of the Fisher Spassky match. Oh I, uh, I read a book. I just remember the antics before then. So before people would play Bobby Fisher, they'd be so worked up and so exasperated. They're like, oh my God, they're just emotionally drained. And he did that to a degree, as far as I can tell, on purpose to mess with them. Um, but yeah, so the Russians, I think, are doing that now to their Western ally partners. Maybe. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but you might be right. Maybe they are doing it just to upset them and throw them off their game. That's uh, yeah. clever, uh, clever diplomatic chess, if that's what's going on. But Churchill had, a, Churchill had his own recourse to deal with this. Yeah, Churchill apparently just skipped breakfast. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, no, I'm good. I'm I get good. the feeling with Churchill that breakfast for him was uh, a bottle of gin anyway, so I don't think this was unusual. <laughs> His daughter, Sarah, wrote to her mother while she was at Yalta about her father. He awakes rather late 
and there isn't time for breakfast and lunch and work and a little sleep before the dew at four. So now he just has orange juice when he is called and brunch at 11.30, then nothing till nine o'clock. This mm. seems a very long time, but he really is a big fat cunt, so I guess he can survive. <laughs> oh, no, she didn't say that. That's <laughs> no, no, my notes. No. But he really is very sensible and says that is what he likes best. You're yeah, I don't sure. think he was going to be starving away, uh, Churchill, if he skipped a couple of meals. Yeah, uh, no, he's, he's got a lot stored up like a bear. No, he, he's, got, he's going to be fine. Now, that, that's not to say that at 9 o'clock he did not pig out to compensate. But yeah, yeah, for whatever they were saying, whatever, that worked for him and for his constitution at his age. That's pretty good. Mm. Alexander Cadogan, a uh, member of the British uh, contingent, said that uh, he never heard Churchill complain about the food or the drink at Yalta. PM seems well, he wrote on February 9th, though drinking buckets of Caucasian <laughs> champagne, which would undermine the health of any Norman, normal man. Buckets of champagne. He cleaned out his own system on a daily basis. I think he was onto something. I actually like to imagine that's literally how Churchill was drinking it at Yolza. Put <laughs> in a bucket. Yeah. A bucket, damn you. What was... I actually have a clip of Churchill at Yalta. Ah, good afternoon, sir. And how are we today? Better. Better? Better get a bucket. I'm going to throw up. Uh, Gaston, a bucket for monsieur. Merci, Gaston. I haven't finished. Oh, pardon, Gaston. Okay. A thousand pardons, monsieur. Oh. Now, this afternoon, we have monsieur's favorite, the jugged hare. The hare is very high, and the sauce is very rich, with truffles, anchovies, Grand Marnier, bacon, and cream. Thank you, Gaston. There's still more. Oh. Allow me. <clears throat> A new bucket for monsieur. I'm going to be sick. Oh, God, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that in 25 years, man. I haven't seen that since I was much (laughs) younger. Oh, my God. That's uh, Monty Python's The Meaning of Lif, if uh, you are a young listener and you haven't seen that. Oh, my God. Bring me a bucket. And And after you watch it, thank us. Yeah, so maybe Churchill was drinking champagne out of the bucket and then... Just throwing up into the bucket uh, afterwards to make room for the next Smart. bucket Smart. of champagne exactly. that was coming. Exactly. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, Cadigan uh, also wrote that aside from bowls of fruit and uh, bottles of mineral water in his room, every day there was a decanter, a fresh decanter of vodka for him. So, Damn. I mean, you know, that's, that's priorities in Mother Russia. Vodka yeah. is the, the meat and potatoes of Russia. <laughs> That's that's two of your four food groups yeah. right there. <laughs> the food pyramid. The food pyramid Vodka. in Soviet Russia. Vodka. It's very simple. It's, it's most very- of it. It's vodka. <laughs> and down the bottom, some uh, moldy bread. That's it. Vodka and moldy right. bread. That's all you need in Mother Russia. Oh, my God. So on... Um, <laughs> the day four, we said we're at day four, and the, and the dinner the dinner at the end of day four, February 8th, was hosted by Stalin at uh, Koretz Villa. Um, now, according to Steady, Edward Stettinius, the US Secretary of State, Edward 
Riley Statinius. This is the uh, second Riley, or the first of two Rileys that uh, will appear in today's show. Um, he called this banquet on February 8th the most important dinner of the conference, which is why we're covering nice. it in detail. Right. The menu included whitefish and champagne sauce, <laughs> as well as traditional Russian caviar and pies. Caucasian chasselet of mutton and Central Asian pilaf of quails. Ah, Like, Russia has just been devastated by the Nazis. <laughs> Laid waste. 20 <laughs> million years. people dead. Where the fuck are they yeah. coming up with a pilaf of quails? <laughs> they are taking it from the people. <laughs> they are taking it all from the people to impress the Westerners. But that's what you but, do. But, but, but where? Like, where are the people getting it from? The people have nothing. The people are dead. Where are they coming up with right. this from, is what I want to know. Well, I imagine they diverted one of the uh, Russian armies after the, at this point they're very successful. <laughs> they were able to turn them into a different direction and go hunt for quail. Look, no, I need you to take your tanks. I need you to take your uh, bombers and everything else and your big guns and go give me some fucking quail. This is coming from Stalin, all right? You know, Let's hop to it, people. You know who it was? It was the guy that Stalin sent out to get you, the lemon tree. Is like, <laughs> hey, comrade, comrade, come to me. You did such a good job with lemon tree. Marilyn Monroe kisses on each lemon, little tiny balls for uh, President Roosevelt. You did very good job. You, you'll get to live another day. Now I need, uh, I have another Yay. job for you now, my friend. I need you to go find me 300 quails <laughs> and 300 shaslicks, mutton shaslicks, uh, as well as whitefish. Oh my God. Lots and lots, yes. of, lots and lots of whitefish with champagne. <laughs> Oh God! He was Stalin's go-to guy for getting for getting crazy <laughs> shit. He was like uh, Leo Getz. You want it? You need it, Leo Getz. Right. He was the Leo Getz. <laughs> What's the Russian? Exactly. Oh my God! And he probably lived a long time because he was able to acquire such things. He was the Saul, relatively long time. The Saul Goodman of Soviet Russia. You needed something done. You went to this guy. Boom, that's right. Now, according to uh, the daughters, some of the daughters of the big, um, at least two of the big three, uh, this was the most impressive reception of the entire conference. And, and that makes sense because we've just been through four days of hell. Uh, they've been arguing back and forth, and we're going to go into a little bit of that. But basically, this is time for Stalin to go. I have gotten most of what I wanted. Yes, they frustrated me day two, day three, whatever. But things are turning around now, and I want to celebrate. And I am not yet done sealing the deal. And a lot of that will happen tonight with a shit ton of vodka. By the way, these three girls, the daughters, we've mentioned in the past. But just to recap, FDR's daughter, Anna Bettiger. Bettinger, Bettinger, Bottinger. There's no, there's yes. no N in her name. Is that's 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 just go with it. <laughs> Bottinger, you're just Bottinger. Bottinger. There's no, there's, there's no fucking N in there. How do you get Inga when there's no Look, N in there? I went on YouTube, and you can trust N. YouTube. I could Bot be wrong. Bottinger. There's no N. Bottinger. I'm yeah. going anyway. Um, Sarah Oliver, 
who was Churchill's daughter, who, by the way, don't know if you know this, went on to become an actress a few years after Yalta, mm-hmm. and in 19, I think, 51, starred in a film with Fred Astaire. Nice. Some life. So she really huh? had talent. She wasn't just in some... Yeah. So she had some talent, obviously. Yeah. Well, I don't know. They're not just going to throw anybody. They're not just going to throw anybody. I saw a photo of her. She was relatively pretty. Not gorgeous, but, you know, passable. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, being Churchill's daughter will get you the audition, but it won't necessarily get you the role. You've got to bring something to it. Uh, Well, maybe, yeah. (laughs) She probably slept with me. I was watching last night... uh, Tracy Morgan's uh, new stand-up special that's on Netflix. Uh, I was just thinking about what mm-hmm. Tracy Jordan would say. I'm fucker. I get a pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. By the, the way, if, if, if you haven't yep. seen it, yep. like uh, his stand-up special on Netflix, funniest stand-up show uh, I have seen in memory, and I've watched them all. Uh I was laughing my ass out. Oh, my God. Like, you know, he nearly died when that Walmart truck hit him. And, of course, it's a big subject of of his comedy now. But I think it made him better. Like, he came out of that funnier than ever. Oh, man. He is just... He is wrong and he is funny. Uh, Anyway. uh, So that's what happened with Sarah Oliver. And Kathleen Harriman was also there. Now, we might note that, you know, the, the, the big three brought... You know, two of the big three... And Harriman brought along their daughters. Stalin, mm-hmm. no, did not bring his no. daughter. I do not think that uh, my daughter should be here. Uh, <laughs> and we're going to smart. And we're going to find man. out why in a minute. Now, uh, he, uh, Stalin was, though, apparently in a very good mood that evening. Sarah Oliver wrote to her mother, "The bear, as host, was in terrific form, and it was very friendly and gay." Now, bear, as we know, is the term for a large, hairy gay man. (laughs) So I I can't escape the picture of Stalin, Churchill, and FDR naked, oil lubed up, oiled up at the end of the night. Um, Oh, my God. You know, they obviously someone had to pick FDR up and and put him on the the bed. (laughs) No, Uh, you can't say. They're they're rolling around. (laughs) Two of them, very large, hairy men. Um, and I, li- I like that. That is the image of Yalta that I want to remember. Oh. So basically what you're saying, in order to maintain world peace, Stalin and Churchill performed a spit on FDR, who could pretty much just lay there. So, But if it's for world peace, th- there is no price too high. I in my, my well, FDR my. was a very very handsome man, very distinguished. I don't think yeah, that's not yeah. that's not a price. Yeah. That's an honor. That's an honor. That's <laughs> really why he died a couple of months later. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, but here's a, here's a serious point I would like to make is we're going to find out with these these three daughters. I mean, this is um this is 1945. And these women are, in, in, to my mind, the way I kind of read into um, their words and uh, what th- their attitude was in their, in their letters, the, these ladies are not your typical um, women. I mean, they're not demure. They're out there. They're brash. They're bold. One of them even goes toe-to-toe 
with a known rapist for a couple of minutes in a conversation. And it's just, I mean, you just got to think these guys had very powerful fathers, very rich families. They could do whatever they want. And so, yes, there are these young ladies in the physical prime of their life, but they're not taking shit off anybody. And they travel. They've seen the world. They, they know a thing or two. And so, whereas you and I would go, I'm not fucking taking my daughter to this thing. These women are, it seems like, more than capable of handling their own. And I yeah, no, they seem to be very, you know, very bright, very capable young ladies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, getting back to Stalin on the night, Kathleen Harriman wrote a letter to her sister talking about Stalin. She said, he really was terrific. He enjoyed himself, was a splendid host, and his three main speeches were swell and meant something more than the usual banalities. In true Soviet fashion, Mm. he sat in the middle of a long, long table with the president on his right and Churchill on his left, Molotov, Eden and Stettinius opposite. At times, Stalin just sat back and smiled like a benign old man, something I'd never thought possible. Anyway, I was much impressed. Oh, my God. Now, you know, when you sit on the right-hand side, that's obviously a place of honor from, I guess, from Roman times, maybe even more than that. You know FDR is going to be there because he has given Stalin almost everything he's wanted. But yeah, so you just imagine him just sitting back and, and see, and I don't know how much you want to give away, Cam, but oh my God, to me, he is doing nothing more than playing a part. He's sitting back, maybe he's acting a little drunk, a little befuddled or whatever. He's amused or whatever. It's like he's let all his guards, you know, his guard down. To me, that couldn't be further from the truth. And he is playing his part to perfection. Why is the right-hand side important? When you sit at the right hand of somebody... Uh... And remember, like, if you if you were given the, the right flank in a battle, that was, like, a, considered a place of honor. I, I don't know. I think it had something to do with your, someone's right-hand man, and obviously most people are right-handed. I just don't know if it started with the Romans or if it was with the Greeks before that, because, you know, they stole everything from the Greeks. I don't know when that started out. Hmm. Um, I, I suspect that, uh, you know, you, you normally would wear your sword on the left, and if somebody's on your right... right it's very hard if you draw your sword out of the scabbard on the left you can't pull it out to the right it's very hard to stab somebody on your right so if you're on the right hand side you know you're 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 in the safer spot somebody on the left you can just pull it out and yeah they're screwed i don't know i'm interested to know repeat thrust where the right side comes from i mean yeah there's the biblical stuff but i'm sure someone looked that up and tell us predates the the biblical stuff of you know sitting in the right hand of the lord and all that kind of stuff yeah um, gotcha. I'll have to look that up. So um wasn't only the girls that were impressed with Stalin. Statinius wrote that Stalin was in excellent humor and even in high spirits. Alan Brooke noted in his diary, Stalin was in the very best of form, was full of fun and good humor, apparently thoroughly enjoying himself. Now, I find these descriptions of Stalin fascinating. Because obviously, mm-hmm. part of what we want to do uh, on this series, um, in this state, you know, we're talking about Stalin, is, is humanize Stalin. I guess right. uh, that's part of what I want to do personally is get to see him as a human being, not as a stereotype, the archetypical evil dictator villain thing, not discounting the fact that he did lots of horrible things. Um, but, you know, trying to see mm-hmm. the, the man behind the mustache. And here are all of these Westerners who got to spend time with him, and they're saying, oh, he was lovely, good humor, good spirits, having a good time, full of fun. It's a, it's a, 
depiction of Stalin that uh, I'm certainly wasn't familiar with until we started doing the show. Yeah. Now, and you've got to remember, just a couple of hours before this dinner, I mean, Stalin did um, finally agree to help the United States and the British um, with their war on Japan eventually. But obviously, as we talked about on the last episode, there was the uh, island chains, the, the two island chains uh, and some other things that Stalin was going to get. So if he was being sincere with his display of happiness, you just got to imagine that he has just been able, uh, he's proud because he's been able to right the wrongs that was done not only to the country when he ruled it, but what was done to um, Russia during the, czar, the time of the czars. And so if he is truly giddy, he certainly does have a reason to be. But to me, I don't, I think Stalin's the kind of person who truly owned himself and he never ever really let go he never ever lost control except for maybe in a rage or whatever but i i think to a degree he's happy but i think he's playing it up because the night is not done he needs to do some other if, if i could just add on so not only has stalin gotten a lot of what he wants but there are still some lingering questions out there there's obviously there's poland there's the idea of how much the french are going to be allowed to help in policing germany i.e their forces that much closer to russia uh, then you've got the um the final amount of German reparations. So Stalin has gotten a lot, but there's more to do and he needs tonight to go really well to set it up. So these guys really think that they're, uh, that they're allies because he's going to go after the rest of what he wants in the next coming day or two. Mm. So yes, so this is playing a last, last couple of days. There's going to be some, some pretty big decisions that have to get made or not yeah. made. Um, earlier that day, Churchill had summarized for Eden the argument of the foreign office paper he had just read, which I thought was pretty profound. Is Number one, the only bond of victors is their common hate. And two, to make Britain safe, she must become responsible for the safety of a cluster of feeble states. Uh, but he wasn't happy with that old poo. He said, we ought to think of something better than these. But I like that first one in particular. The only bond of victors is their common hate. And that certainly seems to sum up the situation between yeah. the US, the UK and the USSR. And, and again, I want to point out for people who still think of the US and the UK as, as BFFs at this point, um, they definitely weren't. BFFs. That is right. part of the mythology that has been spread by both sides since World War II. But we know when you read deeper into the history that the US were out to destroy the British Empire's uh, uh, trading block mm -hmm. and, and the British were pissed and, would, and Churchill yeah. was trying to avoid that at all costs. And this is really what's going on. Yes, they were supporting each other as were the soviets uh, to destroy the nazis but really uh there's yeah. a lot of deep anger and resentment and conflict going on under the surface of this uh, common bond the common hate of the nazis as uh, he put it yeah and and, uh, and to go back to a point that you uh uh 
made earlier. Um, yeah, so the Americans are going after the British bloc because obviously they need larger markets and all that good stuff. But when Churchill says we ought to think of something better than these, to me, that's just Churchill being Churchill. He wants something better. He wants something more grand. He wants something that's moving and lifting and inspirational. But I think this, their foreign office nailed it right. Like you said when we, we did our first episode, you've got a republic, you've got an empire, and you've got a communist country. They have nothing in common. They, there's there's no commonality there. It's just Hitler and Hitlerism and, and defeating the Nazis. And so I think Churchill is being emotional, and I think he's trying to be eloquent and grand, but that is the cold, hard truth, and that's what these gentlemen are trying to deal with. The only thing that could possibly make any of this work is the personal relationships between these three men, and so that's what they're going to have to focus on. But I think the Foreign Office nailed it despite what Churchill believes, or besides what Churchill wants. Well, I think Churchill's got a good point too. Like, he could see even at that juncture that in order for the uh, uh, alliance and peace between those three countries to stick, there Mm -hmm. had to be something stronger bringing them together, keeping them together than their common hate of the Nazis. Because once the Nazis are gone... Yeah, what do you got? What do you got? That's right. It's like a marriage that's based on sex. You know, you meet, you meet, you know, it's great. There's a lot of hormones running around, a lot of chemicals. The fucking is fantastic. You're doing it five times a day. It's just (laughs) thrilling, but it's going to wear out after time. You know, it's going to be going, oh, no, I don't have to fuck her again. Do I really? Seriously? (laughs) My God, we only did it a week ago. We have to do it again. I'm sorry. So there has to be more there. There has to be more to the marriage than just the fucking. I think that's what Churchill was trying to say. No, but I mean, but again, the office is right. We're going to have to spend a lot of money on these feeble states. Um, And and like you said, Nazi Germany is on its way out. So what are we going to do? That is their job to come up with it. They're the three leaders. It's up to them to somehow manifest uh, something bigger, something larger than just hating Germany. Hmm. But as you say, Churchill also wrote to Attlee at the time, um, we, are ha- we are having hard times here, <laughs> but all personal relations are excellent. But what now, if one of you is lying and acting the entire time? Well, I think it's fair to assume that they all were, man. That's, that's <laughs> how these things do, right? You don't end up as president or prime minister or... or premier of a country without being very adept at lying and acting all of the time. I mean, that's just, that's just the reality of the situation. I mean, if you're honest, you're not going to get very far, I think, in politics. Um, But that's, that's Churchill's weak point, though. He is sentimental. He is emotional. And I think Stalin has got him pegged, but we'll we'll get to that later. Yeah, well, Stalin certainly... Pegged him that night when they were all oiled up in the bed. Uh, but, you know. <laughs> Trick the, big, the big anyway, three, the so. big threesome is what it should be known as. The big threesome. Yes. That's what Yolza was. Name of our book. I mean, yeah. at, the end, <laughs> at the end of the day, when they, they hit an impasse in negotiations, it was like, all right, well, let's oil up then. Right, obviously. <laughs> We can't get much further here. We need to oil up. We'll talk about it after we'll come. I need to come. I need to shoot my load. 
Everything he's full of champagne, he's got to get it out. Everything's out. Okay, next time, when Chrissy gets back from the US where she's been for the last three weeks, I'm going to... When we when we are in the sack, I'm going to just do it all in Churchill uh, voice. See how that works for me. See if it turns her on. I'd like to lay $5 and it won't. But anyway, I mean, anyway, I don't know. Well, you know, we like to role play. I say tonight. Tonight, I'm going to be Winston Churchill. Talk like this. I want to fuck your pussy. She's like, no, do the can- do the cabana boy. No, it's too late. <laughs> too late. I've put on a lot of weight while you've been away. I have to do this. <laughs> oh, help us. The cabana boy okay. G-string will not fit me anymore. <laughs> I flush my tooth with it now. <laughs> oh, I think I turned it into a Scottish accent. Anyway. <laughs> now, Statinius. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, uh, money penny. This should pose no significant problem. Um, Statinius said that the good mood he felt uh, at the conference was partly the result of the fact that there was no preset formal agenda. The mm. big threesome could just uh, pass one question <laughs> if they wanted, move on to another. Right. It was flexible. As they were right. in bed, uh, honestly. You know, they, they were... Don't you need, damn it! There yeah, was no yeah. set order of who did who first or who was in the middle. It was obviously Roosevelt normally because he couldn't get around much, couldn't get up right. on his knees and do much. So, no. you know, it was normally him. But, you know... That's my present. They, they had props. They could prop him up if they wanted. Swings. <laughs> uh, all I'm disgusted and turned on at the same time. <laughs> That's my president. So is Trump. Trump's your fucking president, too. (laughs) I got my fingers in my ears. La, la, la. Not for longer. Not for much longer. But anyway. Um, And so, and at the end, and and also the dinners were a big important thing. Obviously, at the end of a hard day uh, of negotiating, they could just sit around, drink, talk, laugh, um, and obviously end up in bed together. So it was very, it was sort of the, 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 the... process worked and, and their relationships were good to a point. Now, Stalin well, and gives I was a go- toast. I, I was just going to ask real quick. I mean, you, you deal with a lot of executives in your line of work. I imagine you you work during the day, but if you go out maybe for lunch or dinner or play golf or whatever afterwards, I mean, you know, the discussion to a degree keeps going and you'd be surprised how much you can get done in a more relaxed atmosphere when you're not all sitting around at the table and everybody's listening and everything's being written down. So again, they were able to move ahead in a, in a more leisurely pace at dinner. Um, and, you know, wherever you can get the work done, that's really all that matters. Yeah. No, look, I I don't do that kind of stuff these days, but there was a time, particularly my Microsoft days, where I used to do that a right. lot. And everyone knows that most deals get done mm-hmm. either over dinner at a bar or at a golf course. Or, or hooker's golf. ass. I mean, yeah. those... Right, right. Yeah. Those are the places most deals get done. <laughs> and, and, and you're right for exactly that reason. Well, partly that. You, you're more relaxed. But also, my first sales coach I had when I was 20 or early 20s, when I first got into sales, told me something that I've never forgotten, and it's proven to be true um, ever since. People tend to want to do business with people they like and trust. Because mm. at mm-hmm. the end of the day... You know that at some point shit's going to go wrong, 
Um, the the product that you buy is not going to work. The service is going to fail. Something's something's going to go wrong at some point. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can fall back on contracts and lawyers and all that kind of shit. But no one wants to do that, really, except Trump. Right. Um, what what most normal people want to do when shit goes wrong, and they know it will. That's just the nature of things. Is you want to be able to pick up the phone to the guy who you mm-hmm. did the deal with and say, "Listen, Ray." Uh, help me out, man. Like, um, you know, shit's broken. Uh, my business is on ha- is is on pause. We can't, we can't, you know, blah 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 right. without the widget. And you want you want to know that guy's going to be there. He's going to go. Listen, I'll make it happen. Don't worry. Yeah, I'll be there. I'll, I'll, I've got your back. That's what you really and, absolutely. And, and that's 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 about personal relationship. It's not about diplomats. It's not about contracts. It's not about what's on paper. It's about do I think you're going to be there for me when the shit hits the fan? Right. And that's what this is just on a much larger scale. Yeah. And, and the fascinating thing about this for me is I believe that these guys genuinely respected and respected each other and enjoyed mm-hmm. each other's company. At the I end of the that. day, they saw themselves as the leader. Uh, as they needed to protect the interests of their own country. Um, and yes, they lied and they finagled and they bullshitted and they were, you know, uh, just deceived. Yeah. Deceived. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. But I think what comes through everybody's notes here, uh, their own memoirs, memos, what letters they wrote back home, the little personal nitty-gritty, and this is why we're going into so much detail in, in, these, in these Yalta episodes, because this is really the beginning and the end, I guess, of, of the, the opportunity that the world had to avoid mm-hmm. the Cold War, is that these guys genuinely liked each other. And, and if they had survived and stayed in power... Um, maybe the world would be a very different place today. But as we know, that was not to be. Right. And and I just want to mention, I mean, because you and I know uh, through our own experience in business or whatever, that if you talk to someone for a couple of days in a row and maybe during the day you get into a heated exchange, whatever, and you can patch it up, I mean, that solidifies your friendship even more that you can then go into the evening, have a couple of drinks. So these guys have been battling for hours for the last four days and then just to come together and relax in the evening. You've got to think that that is almost like being in a, a pressure cooker. And so the the friendships or the level of respect that formed must have formed very quickly in these first four or five days. And now it's going to, into a, to a degree, come to a head tonight during dinner. So Stalin gave a toast at dinner where he said, Vodka, vodka, in an alliance. (laughs) Can't remember my Stalin voice. In an alliance, the allies should not deceive each other. Perhaps that is naive. Experienced diplomats may say, why should I not deceive my ally? But I, as a naive man, think it best not to deceive my ally even if he is a fool. Possibly our alliance is so firm just because we do not deceive each other. Or is it because it is not so easy to deceive each other? I propose toast to the firmness of our three-power alliance. May it be strong and stable. May we be as frank as possible. 
Nice. May we, may we do Frank? No, that's not what he's saying. May we, <laughs> in as many ways as possible. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's unpack that a little bit. <laughs> Stalin saying we should not deceive you. Yes, I am bugging all of your rooms and bathrooms. Yes, I am bugging. Yes, but, uh, and yes, I am uh, not telling full truth about, uh, <laughs> Everything, pretty much. But uh, outside of that, I tell full truth. What is this? What does Tony Montana say? I always tell the truth, even when I lie. <laughs> say goodbye <laughs> to the bad guy. Um, now I just, I just want to throw out something real quick. In, in my World War II podcast, doing my bio of Stalin, I'm up to the summer of 1918, right before the, you can call it the Russian Civil War, officially breaks out. And he gets sent to the South to uh, to gather some grain for uh, Petrograd, Moscow, because that's pretty much all the, the Bolsheviks have left at this point. And he goes down there, and just right away, before anybody could really do anything, there's a gentleman who is a a general who is roughly on the same level of power that he is at. He has his career sabotaged and he takes over. There's another guy who um, is in charge of economics. He ruins his um, life, takes the 10 million rubles that Lenin gave him, takes over his position. And he does it to the secret, um, um, the Cheka there. So Stalin is this brutal, power-hungry um, guy who was just willing to do anything and everything to have power so no one could be over him, so no one can fuck with him like they've been doing since the day he was born. And so he's either mellowed a whole hell of a lot since night, since since then, and he's just an older guy, and he's he's all just this big teddy bear by now, or he's slightly lying or whatever. But so the fact that he can do this, and these people are moved by his words, and I'm sure the alcohol is helping. It just it just kind of disappoints me a little bit in FDR for in FDR and Churchill maybe to look at each other that moment and go, oh, that was just really sweet of him to say. Well. Did they believe him? Did they not believe him? I suspect they didn't believe him. I, I, I you know, I think this is political yeah. theatre on behalf of Stalin. I like to think these two guys were smart enough. But as we'll see at another point, uh, he gives another speech that, according to the British contingent, reduced Churchill to tears. Yeah, so Churchill. maybe it just depends on how much champagne they've had to drink, quite honestly. I mean, you know what it's like. You know, you, you start off oh, at the yeah. beginning of the night hating somebody. Uh, you know, you're an asshole. Fuck you. You sit down, you drink a few bottles of champagne, and you're like, I right. fucking love you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I love you. Yeah, Road love trip, you so let's much. all get my car. We're driving you know. to Florida. As yeah. you saw in Vegas, you started off Vegas saying, no, 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 I, I can't. I'm straight. Okay. By, the, no, by the end of the night. Not even the tip. Not even the tip. The, by the end of the night, you had your balls in Ryan Markley's <laughs> mouth. So, you know, it boosts, <laughs> loosens you up, changes your perspective. It does. So who knows? Really maybe does. they believed yeah. him, maybe they didn't. But the fact the fact that he was willing <laughs> to give a speech talking True. about, maybe I am naive. Like, Stalin is the most removed person from naivete of anyone right. ever. He had everyone fucking bugs, spies up the wazoo. He knew <laughs> he knew everything that was going on. He's got right. the Cambridge Five. He's got spies in the Manhattan Project. He's got um, spies in uh, Dumbarton Oaks. Uh, in the, you know, he's Damn. just got spies. So I don't know. I just think it's 
hilarious the way that he's saying this with a straight face. Like, I think that's yeah. why he grew the big mustache. So he can if hide you have a, a big enough mustache, yeah, yeah, you can hide your smile when you're saying shit like this. <laughs> People can't see that you're grinning because the mustache. It's like you can't put your hand over your mouth, right, while right. you're saying stuff like I do when I'm trying to pretend to Fox that I'm angry, but really I'm laughing at something that he's done. You just grow the big bushy mo, and I right. think that's uh, so. Anytime you see somebody with a big mustache. That's a yeah, sign. Don't trust that them. Yeah. Don't trust them. They're lying. Right. Well, now, some let, let me. Yeah. I was just going to say. Let me. Let me. Spin, let me just spin this uh, another way. Maybe just for a second. If Stalin's got a decent amount of uh, vodka in him, maybe just for a second, he was displaying his fear that they don't trust him or that they're trying to deceive him or whatever. Maybe he was like projecting his own uh, insecurities. Uh, who, who knows? But, but again, however, however it came out, it was a moving speech and it really got to them and, and um, to a certain degree, obviously. And he's got more of this uh, as the night goes on. Yeah. Well, we're nearly at an hour. So I think that's where we're oh. going to have to end this episode. I, um, now the next episode we're going to get to the rated R material. So buckle up, hold on, pull talk- down on your been, hat a little bit. We've been talking about Churchill, <laughs> Stalin spit roasting FDR, but it's the next yeah. episode that we're going to get <laughs> That's to. Raunchy. Yeah. This is the fun sex. The other, the next one's not so much fun sex. Yeah, the other, yeah, the next episode's pretty much going to be about rape. Um, <laughs> the rape so. episode. <laughs> and you know, with at least with FDR and Churchill and Stalin, it was all consensual. Um, yes. But yes. yeah, the next they were doing episode, it for a good cause. Not so much. Let me read a review before we go. Actually, I'm going to read right. our latest uh, DefCon One heroes. Welcome nice. to the family. Welcome to the Ray mm-hmm. and Cam DefCon family. Mm. The following people: Jeffrey Smith, Scott Stewart, Craig Henderson, Brian Francisco. K.L. Kreez, Sean Parnell, Evan Ryan, Mike Curl, Nikolai Knapowski, Arian Pronk, Henning Bunk. Like, great fucking names, you guys. So seriously, yeah. like Nikolai Knapowski, Arian Pronk, Henning Bunk. I feel like if I just strung those all together, it sound like I could be swearing at somebody in a language like Klingon. <laughs> Nikolai Knapowski, Arian Pronk, Henning Bunk. No one would know. It sounds no. good. Michael McLean, Mark Phillipson, Alexandra Rovica, Anton Smith, Oliver Johnston, and Joel Phillips. Um, I'd like to give a shout out also to the Farquhar twins <laughs> who had their 16th birthday yesterday. Big fans of the show, Brisbane boys. Um, and uh, they can now legally fuck prostitutes. Uh, maybe no. not. Don't tell your dad. Sorry, Scott. Sorry, no. I don't want to say that. Don't ask your dad. Something. No, don't ask your dad. Ask him no. where he goes, right. uh, but don't ask him before. Just, dad, go, dad, just get older. friend of mine just wanted to know that, that brothel yeah. that you go to. Um, <laughs> uh, here's a review uh, from the United States. Uh, Electric Rod is the name of the um, reviewer. 
<clears throat> title Some Real History Goodness. Cam and Ray do a mind-boggling job of making history incredibly interesting. This podcast does an excellent job not shying away from criticising history, and that's why it's an important listen. Such a refreshing change from the usual history book drab Cam and Ray bring an uncensored, mask-off retelling of history, an absolute must-listen for anybody remotely interested in the Cold War. Thank you, Rod. Thank you, Rod Rod. Um, that is uh, the show. And uh, we'll be back later. Thanks. But before we do that, let's listen to a little bit more of this. You need people like me. You need people like me so you can point your fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So, what I make you? Good? You're not good. You just know how to hide. How to lie. Me? I don't have that problem. Me? I always tell the truth. Even when I lie. So say goodnight to the bad guy. Come on. The last time you're going to see a bad guy like this again, let me tell you. Could be Donald Trump's speech. He needs to do that speech. <laughs> There's going to be his exit speech. Yeah. <laughs> An iron curtain has descended across the continent. military buildup on the island of Cuba. The purpose of these bases can be none other than to provide a nuclear strike capability against the Western Hemisphere.